provide an introduction for the message today. What you see here in front of you is what is called a land use plan. A land use plan. A couple years ago, CLF came into a little bit of extra money, and we decided that it would be a good time for us to stop and make a plan for how we use the property that the Lord has blessed us with. If you don't know this part of our story, this building and about four or five acres was given to us. We don't, haven't paid a dime for it. It was just given to us as a gift from another church that uh, was no longer able to carry on, and we've been so grateful for it. But I also realize that four or five acres isn't a lot of property that we need to plan carefully in order to maximize the use of that property. So a couple years ago, we had a little bit of extra cash, and I, I, uh, we uh, uh, contracted with an expert to give us what he thought would be our best use of the land. Because otherwise, you might build a building that's too big and not enough parking, or too much parking lot and too, too small a building. We want to know what can we do to use this property that has been, a, it's been gifted to us. What can we do to use this piece of land to the very best, to, to maximize its potential, to have, reach more people? What can we do? So this was the plan that was drawn up. And maybe you'll get a chance to look at it, but that's all I'm going to say about that because I want you to know this. God has a plan for your life to maximize your potential. God doesn't do anything unintentionally. There's no accident in, it, in him at all. Everything is by plan. It's by design. And God has a plan and a design for you and me. He wants to maximize our potential. He wants to work in us and work uh, in, uh, in our lives in order to maximize all the spiritual potential we have in order to glorify his name. And hey, it's for our good too, right? How many of you know God's got a good plan for your life? So today's message is really about that plan. I've called it a blueprint for growth. And I want you to maybe be introduced for the very first time, or maybe this is something you've heard a lot about. I don't know where you're at in your Christian walk, but I want you to understand some things about what God intends to do with your life. I want you to know how God is going to be working in the circumstances of your life, how God will work through his word, through his spirit, to transform your life, to maximize your potential so that he can use you for his glory and your good. In Colossians 2, 1 through 7, Paul lays out this blueprint for growth. He shows us where God intends to take us as his children. And he gives us here a picture of what a mature disciple should look like. A mature disciple. You see, God intends to grow us up. He's not going to leave us as spiritual infants being tossed around. He is going to grow us up. He intends to bring us to a place of maturity where we have a sound mind that we, thought, that we thanked him for earlier. God has given us the mind of Christ, but if, if I were to transplant the brain of, let me think, of uh, Stephen Hawking into one of you today, if I was just to give you his brain, we would probably wonder, now what am I going to do with it? We would have to train that brain. We'd have to begin to use that brain in order to do everything that Stephen Hawking can do and think the thoughts that Stephen... Although one of the thoughts lately that he's talking about is he's really convinced that there are alien life forms and that, that we're being watched right now. And it's kind of strange to hear this brilliant guy talk about alien life forms and UFOs and stuff. He may be right, I don't know, but 
Does it not? Anyway, that's why Stephen Hawking came to mind. I don't know. But anyway, if I were to give you the brain of Liberace, does anybody remember Liberace? Great piano player, right? If I were just to drop that brain into your, into your head, do you think you'd be able to play the piano automatically like Liberace? No, you'd have to learn to use that mind to play the piano like Liberace, right? We've been given the mind of Christ, but now we have to learn how to think like Christ, react like Christ, respond like Christ, behave like Christ, right? So God is going to bring us to a place of spiritual maturity. He intends to make us perfectly his. Inside and out, God intends to make us perfectly his. He's going to make us holy even as he is holy. That's his intention. That's his plan. And I could point out all kinds of scriptures that point to that. Well, in Colossians chapter 2, the first seven verses, Paul lays out what I call a blueprint for growth. And I want to share that with you this morning. And I hope that those of you who are new in your walk with the Lord will see it for what it is and understand it's how God intends to grow you up. If you have been walking with the Lord for a little while, maybe as we talk about the, these things, you're going to think to yourself, man, I haven't grown very much in this area of my life. And maybe it's time for me to surrender that part of my life so God can do in me what he's trying to do. Because I've been bucking him. I've been opposing him in those areas. We're real good about that as humans, aren't we? Opposing God instead of working with him. All right, well, here we go. Let's read this passage of Scripture. We'll get into this, and we'll spend some time in worship at the end of the service. Chris, could you get me, uh, not Chris, Tyler, would you get me some water, please? Thank you, man, I appreciate it. Paul writes and says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Amen. God, let's, let's pray. Father, I love you so much. I thank you for your word. I thank you for its transforming power. I pray in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit would use this word to chip away at the, at the difficult, hardened areas of our heart. I pray the Spirit of God would give us ears to hear eyes to see, a heart to embrace the truth that's here. I pray, Spirit of God, you would give us a supernatural ability today to wrap our mind around these truths so that we would embrace them and put them into practice. We live in dangerous times, confusing times, but it's words like these that will keep us strong, that will keep us standing firm in the face of all the hardship and difficulty and confusion. So, Lord Jesus, help us today to get from this passage what you want us to get so that we can grow and become the people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, too often, I think we're guilty as pastors and Bible teachers sometimes, too often we present God's plan for his children to be one of comfort and convenience. We, we're too often, when we present the gospel to folks, too often it's a... It's, it's, a, it's a message that emphasizes 
the, uh, emphasizes too much the ease in which we hope, we bait the hook, in other words. We bait the hook, we make it look like something it may not really be. For instance, we, 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 we come across this way sometimes. Give your heart to Jesus and all your problems go away. And I just want to laugh when I hear that. Because often when you give your heart to Jesus, your problems just multiply. Especially in the recovery community, I've watched people who have given their hearts to Jesus and they have begun to wean themselves off the drugs and suddenly they find out that life can be hard. They've been numbing themselves all these years to the problems of life and now they're having to face them for the first time. And that's a difficult place to be if you're not used to it, if you've been medicating yourself. So when, when we, if it's ever been presented to you that way, let me assure you that when you give your heart to Jesus, that does not mean that all your problems are going to go away. Sometimes we present it this way, give your heart to Jesus, and he's kind of like Pedro. He'll make all your dreams come true. Completely missed the Napoleon Dynamite reference. <laughs> I'll have to try. You know, I actually, it's terrible. I mentioned Jack Bauer in the, from the TV show 24 in my high school class the other day. Nobody even knew who that was. Jack Bauer, man, that's just yesterday, right? Good Lord. I, I got to get more hip, I guess. I need to grow a man bun and wear skinny jeans. God help me. I'm not going to do it. Not going to do it. Look, this is the truth. This is what I want you to hear today. God's plan is much more about your character than it is your comfort or your convenience. God's plan for your life is much more about your holiness than it is your happiness. Brian brought that up so well last week, talking about the purpose of suffering in, in, the, in the life of a believer. God uses those difficult times to chip away at the hard parts of our heart and our life. He backs us up into a corner so that we have to recognize him to be the Lord of our life so that we come to a place of surrender to his call and his, his, uh, his plan. Uh, so, so what I want you to understand is we talk about this blueprint for, for growth here. You're not going to hear much about all the external things of your life. You're not going to hear about happiness and circumstances changing. What you are going to hear is about your response to those things, how th this blueprint for growth addresses the matters of, of your heart, what's going on inside your thought processes, what's going on inside your heart. And so that's what I hope you hear today. It's not about the stuff out here. It's about the stuff in here, in here, and in here, okay? So the first part that I want to point out to you about God's blueprint for your growth is this. He intends for you to have faith in adversity. He intends for you to have strong faith when times get hard. Verse 1 says this, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart. Paul knows that that's what the Holy Spirit is after. The Holy Spirit is after you and I, the sons and the daughters of God, holding firm when things get tough. So what, what that word encouraged means, encouraged means enabling someone to meet a difficult situation with confidence and strength. Paul says, my goal is that you will meet difficult situations with confidence and strength. One of the indications that a person has matured in Christ is the way they handle adversity. 
Amen? Either they give in to the adversity and give up when it gets tough, or they stay in, they stand up, and they buck up in the face of that adversity. A mature disciple trusts God in the face of adversity, right? That's what we hope that as Gabe grows up to be a young man that he's able to stand firm. Don't you, Dad, don't you hope he doesn't crumble underneath the pressure? Don't you hope he stands up in the face of pressure and continues to be the man that he's supposed to be? That's what, that's what we all want for our children, right? God's no different. He wants us to be able to stand up under the pressure, right? One of my favorite passages of Scripture is found in the little book of Habakkuk. And if you get a chance this afternoon, go home and read this little book. It's a, it's a, let me give you the context of it, then let me read to you a couple verses that have meant a lot to me over the years. In the book of Habakkuk, we find out that Israel is, is surrounded by enemies, and it's being attacked on every side. And the prophet Habakkuk, he could see the writing on the wall. He, he knew that the days ahead would be filled with hardship and heartache, destruction and devastation. Habakkuk could see it coming. And he was trying to warn the nation of Israel about it coming, but they weren't listening. But in spite of the difficulty of the circumstances, in spite of what Habakkuk foresaw was coming his way, he expresses his confidence in God in, the, in, in two of the final verses of the last chapter. He says this, really, I love this passage of Scripture. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Now listen, I know a lot of you right now are in some pretty tough spots. We've spoken on the phone, we've texted back and forth, we've messaged each other on Facebook, and I know that some of you today are in, man, you're facing it. I mean, you're feeling the pressure. Your, your, your life is filled with struggle right now. I'm looking into some of your eyes and I can see the weariness, and I can tell you're worn out. I can tell. I can tell. I've been where some of you are today. So I know what you're feeling. You're empty. You're tired. And you don't feel like you've got anything left in the tank. Can I just tell you this from my own personal experience? And, but it's not about me. It's about what God has promised to his children who will stand firm and not give up. You're about to make a great discovery. You are about to make a great discovery, and the discovery is this. You're not alone. You're not alone. The Lord said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You are not in this struggle alone. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that Jesus was tempted and tested in every way such as we are, that he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. So when you pray to Jesus, he's been there he knows that. He's got the t-shirt too. And he overcame. And because he overcame, he promises you will overcome too. You will overcome too. And that's my message for you today. You can trust God to give you the strength 
to get you through this. You can trust God to give you the courage to stand up strong in the middle of this. You can trust God to give you the peace that you need to endure this and overcome this adversity. In times like this, and listen to me, in times like this, it's when God perfects your faith. Every day or every Friday in my class at Kingwood Christian School is test day. Every Friday. When the kids walk through the door on Friday, they know that everything we have learned that week is going to be put on a test, and they will have to take that test. Some of them do well because they studied, they took great notes, they listened, they engaged in discussions, they watched the videos that I show. Some of them won't do well because they just tried to skate through. We go through these tests, and it's times of testing like this where God reveals what we've learned and what we have yet to learn. Does that make sense? God is going to use the adversity in your life to strengthen your faith if you will just focus on him and not the storm around you. He's going to grow you up. Been there, done that. I can tell you today I'm much stronger. We've had quite a year. You guys have walked with me through this past year. Loss of a mother, it's uh, of a mother-in-law. It's been crazy. I tell you today, I stand in front of you a much more faithful pastor than I was a year ago. I'm a much more faithful husband today. I am much more a man of God today than I was a year ago, because I I've trusted God and I've watched God walk with me and my family through this difficult time. He'll do the same for you. Stand strong. Stand strong. God's growing you up. You just stand strong. Trust the Lord. He's going to get you through this. But that's part of his blueprint for us, is to, to make us strong, to give us strong faith in the face of adversity. The second part of this blueprint is this. He's going to increase our love for others. He intends to help us learn to love perfectly, to love other people perfectly. And if you don't want to say amen to that, at least say, oh, me. Verse 2 says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Now let me tell you something. The Bible makes this point again and again and again and again. Mature disciples love other people. John 13, 35, Jesus says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 1 John 4, 12 says this, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is one of God's goals for us. He, we, he wants us to love other people as he has loved us. Think about that for just a minute. Now, love is an action verb. I want to point this out to you today. It's not a noun. It's not some vague term that's kind of thrown out there for us. Love is an action verb. Love demands. Love demands that we act. Love demands that we act in the best interest of other people, not just stand by and watch. And I don't know what loving others means to you. I'll just share with you what loving others means to me. Loving others looks like this. Love values other people for what they are, not what they do. Love values people for who they are, not what they do. Love spotlights the other person's gifts and strengths, 
not their weaknesses and liabilities. Imagine how much gossip would be eliminated if we only focused on people's strengths and abilities and not their weaknesses and liabilities. Love celebrates the other person's successes and doesn't resent them for it. Love rallies around other people when they hurt or suffer. It doesn't run away from them or ignore them. Love allows people to have a bad day. Love allows, uh, love overlooks offenses. Love speaks the truth gently and with humility. Love never demands to be right. Please listen to that. Love never demands to be right that you agree with me. You've got to agree with me. Love refuses to hang on to a grudge. It lets them go. Listen, this blueprint, this blueprint for, the, for growth includes love for other people. God intends to expand your capacity to maximize your capacity to love other people. So guess what? This is where the oh me part comes in. You can expect God to bring people into your life that may not be easy to love. I've got a 12th grader named, no, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> it's not Tristan. Tristan's great. She, Rob is going, he's, he's talking about Tristan. No, I'm not talking about Tristan. <laughs> I'm kidding. That was just, that was just a joke. <laughs> Listen, God's got to teach you to love people. So that means you can expect people in your life that get on your everlasting nerves. I mean, if there's one nerve left to step on, they're going to get it. They find it. There's a person in your life right now, I guarantee you, and, and, go ahead, you can raise your hand, don't, don't call out any names. Is there a person in your life right now, they're the ones that just keep poking you, poking, 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 you're like, please stop, please stop. That's the person. They're there for a reason. Do you think they were brought, they just stepped into your life by accident? Absolutely not. God's teaching you to love. He's teaching you to overlook that offense. He's teaching you to see the person's strengths, not their weaknesses. To focus on their potential, not what they happen to be doing right now. So, man, go ahead, learn, hey, learn the lesson. Please learn the lesson move, so you can move on, right, to something else. A third part of this blueprint for growth is this, knowledge and understanding of Christ. God intends to grow you in this area of your life to know and understand Christ more and more and more. Verses 2 and 3 say this, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. Not partial understanding, complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Listen, mature disciples are always growing in their knowledge and understanding of Christ. I had the opportunity to spend this weekend with my mom and dad. I love spending time with them. I know the time is growing short. We're soon be on, going on to heaven, or you know, we're going to be separated for a time. I know that time is coming, but this uh, I was able to spend the night with my mom and dad, along with my wife, on, on Friday night. Saturday morning, we get up, and my dad does what my dad does every morning. He got alone with God. Now, my dad's been walking with the Lord since he was about nine years old. If anyone knows more about Christ, I don't know who that person could be. My dad is the wisest man. He knows more about Jesus than He's forgotten more about Jesus than I'll ever know. 
And yet every morning, regardless of what's, what else is going on in the house or where he happens to be, every morning he's going to take some time and spend it alone with Jesus. And that's what he did. You see, you're never so far along in your walk with God that you don't need to spend quality time with the Lord. You've never grown to the point where you know it all, although some of us think we have. And they're the most obnoxious people on the planet. Can I just get an amen? There's none of us that know it all. We're always growing, always growing in our understanding. God's an infinite God. How could you ever come to the end of an infinite God? There's always more to know. So many of us, but here's the problem. This is where we are in our culture. So many of us have just enough knowledge and understanding of Jesus to receive a pardon for our sin. And we have just enough knowledge and understanding of Jesus to escape hell and get, in, and get into heaven. But we don't have enough knowledge and understanding of Jesus to overcome our fears, to renew our minds, to transform our lives, to overcome that life-controlling habit. We got just enough Jesus to get our ticket punched to heaven, but not enough Jesus to get heaven into our hearts. It reminds me of a poem by Wilbur Rees, and I hope no one is offended by this, because it was written back in the 60s. But this poem has stuck with me ever since I read it. It says, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a black man or pick beats with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. A lot of us have that attitude when it comes to the Lord. I want just enough of Jesus to get me by. Mature disciples are never satisfied with just $3 worth of God. They want all of God. They want to continue to grow in their knowledge and understanding of God. They want all of Him. Because, listen, they know a little knowledge of Christ may get you into heaven, but a lot of knowledge about Christ will get heaven into you. Philippians 3.8 says this. This is Paul's life verse, if you will. I believe if you were to ask Paul, what's your life verse? What is the motto by which you live your life? It's right here. He says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Are you growing in your knowledge and understanding of Christ? See, that's key. If you're going to maximize your potential, you're going to have to understand God is going to put you in places, sometimes dry places, to make you dig into his word, to make you crave his presence. Some of you right now are in the middle of a wilderness time, and you're wondering, where did God go? I never hear his voice anymore. I never feel his touch anymore. And I'm telling you, it's because God is trying to get your attention, and he's trying to, 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 to drive you further into his presence. And the only way he can do that is by stirring up a hunger in your heart for more of him. To make you so spiritually thirsty that you'll want to dive into what he's got for you. Oh, you can't just be satisfied with $3 worth of God, can you? 
No, you can't be. There's more of God to know, more of God to understand. Spend time in the Word of God. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in fellowship. God wants to grow you up. He wants to maximize your potential. The fourth thing I want to point out to you in this, in this, this spiritual growth plan is this. He wants you to develop discernment in confusing times. Discernment in confusing times. Verse 4 says, I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you, excuse me, by fine-sounding arguments. So no one can deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. A mature disciple can tell the difference between what's true and what's false. Let me go just a further define that. A, a mature disciple can tell the difference between what's just good and what's best. Let me say that again, because that's really where God's taking us. Can you tell the difference, not just between what's true and what's false, but what's just good and what's best? God is going to fine-tune your discernment capability to help you choose not just what's good for you, because as we know, something may be okay, but it's not, as Paul tells us, beneficial. A lot of us are choosing the good, but it's really not doing us any good. The way we spend our time, the way we spend our money, the way we use our talents, maybe they're good things, but are they the best use of those things? There's a difference, is it not? Discernment in confusing times. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says this. For a time is coming, and I think that time is now more than ever, when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires, and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. We live in that day. Man, oh man, oh man. I just wanted to point out, as, as we, since we're here, a few dangerous teachings that I think are running rampant in the church today. And I want you to take notice of these things. I want to bring them to your attention because as many of you begin this journey with Jesus, I guarantee you the devil's going to try to get you off track, distract you with false teachings, lead you astray. And I just want you, especially those of us who are new in our walk with the Lord, to be at least aware of some of the false teachings that are out there so that when you hear them, maybe it'll kind of slow you down and say, wait a minute, I need to dig into the Word a little bit about that one. Just going to point out four. An emphasis on material prosperity. An emphasis on material prosperity. God's going to take care of all your problems. And because you're saved today, you'll never be sick again. You'll never be poor again. You'll never face... A job loss again. These teachings come in different ways, different form and fashion. Just let me tell you this. Teaching, any teaching that focuses our attention and affection on the things of this world and not the creator of this world, it's a trap. It's a trap. Second one, a rejection of hell and judgment. A rejection of judgment and hell. I want to point out to you that Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. Why? Because he cares about 
the eternal destinations of our souls. And he knows judgment is coming. And with judgment comes a place of separation from God forever. So let me tell you, let me tell you, there is judgment for sin. There will be a final destination called hell unless you place your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. The third one, a denial of the authority of the Bible. Any teaching that denies the authority of the Bible, any teaching that says, I've been given a special revelation from God that adds to our understanding of the Bible, anything that adds to or takes away from the authority of the Bible is a teaching that's going to ultimately cause damage to the foundation of your life because without the truth of the Bible, everything else is up for grabs. The truth becomes whatever. We're living in a day where truth is whatever. What's true for you is not true for me. What's true for me is not true for you. Are you kidding me? There's one truth, God's truth. The fourth thing is a disconnection of faith from works. And this one disturbs me greatly in the church today. A disconnection of faith from works. It does matter how we live. The way we live is evidence that what we say about ourselves and about Jesus is true. The early church faced incredible hardship. They were an illegal faith. They were being hunted down. They were being persecuted, thrown in jail. In spite of their, in spite of the persecution, this early church continued to grow until in the book of Acts they say that they wanted Paul to stop preaching because this was the gospel that had turned the entire world upside down. Why was this church growing so quickly, so rapidly, in spite of the hatred that was obvious and the persecution and the pressure they were facing? You know why? Because they lived differently. They were sexually pure in an impure world. They served one God who happened to have died on the cross for their sins. Instead of worshiping strength and power, they worshiped what in the Roman world was weakness and, you know, and, a, dead, and a dead Savior. I mean, they, they flew, they were, they, were, they were fish swimming upstream. Their lives were testimony to the power of God, Christ in them, the hope of glory. You know why we're not making an effect on our world today? Because we're just like everybody else. We're floating downstream. It's time for the sons and daughters of God to rise up and you say and, and say, listen, I don't care what you may call me, old-fashioned, irrelevant, I don't care. This is what I believe, and this is the way I will live. Put me in jail. You got to do that, you got to do it. But I'm not changing. Shame me. Shame me to try to bring me to your way of thinking, but you can't shame me. I, this is the truth, and I'm hanging on to it. But we have in our minds today that it doesn't matter how we live. That, but I'm telling you, our walk should match our talk. Our lifestyle should back up our testimony. We're living in a time of great deception, and it's in times like these that mature disciples cling to the truth with every last ounce of strength they've got. Cling to the cross. Listen, 1 Timothy 4.16 4, 16 says this, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Remember, not everyone who claims to be an expert is an expert. 
Not everyone who claims to represent God actually represents God. Something that sounds good isn't necessarily something that is good. Any painful, te any teaching, excuse me, any teaching that minimizes sin and judgment will ultimately take you down a painful road. Any teaching that claims to be a new revelation from God isn't what it claims to be. Jude 4 says we're told to contend earnestly for the faith which was, say those three words with me, once for all. Once for all delivered to the saints. Any teaching that minimizes the person and work of Jesus Christ is ultimately going to lead you away from Christ towards something else. You better make sure your focus is on Jesus. Even you may not understand him very well. You may not really know him yet. But I'm telling you, he's the only one that can give you the life that you're looking for. He's the only one that can give you the forgiveness that, that, that you so desperately need in your life. I'm going to wrap it up. We've got to come to a close. We're going to finish looking at this passage of Scripture in, in, in a couple of weeks after our birthday. But here's the message I want you to hear today. And this is what I want you to walk away with. God wants all of his kids to grow up. He doesn't want us to be left as spiritual infants being tossed around by our circumstances and by heresy. He wants us to grow up. He wants us to mature. Not just the select few. This isn't something he's calling pastors and Bible teachers to do. He's calling all of us to grow up, to mature, to become perfect as he is perfect, holy as he is holy. It's, it's, a, it's a call for all of us. It's his blueprint for growth for us all. God wants us to, he wants to maximize our spiritual potential for his glory and our good. And let me tell you something, it's not just going to happen. It doesn't just happen. It's not automatic. Spiritual growth doesn't just automatically happen. Spiritual growth requires intentional and consistent effort on our part. God intends to grow us up. Are you working against him or are you working with him? That's the question. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes and the band's going to come back up and we're going to worship the Lord for the next, I don't know, 10-15 minutes. Actually, went longer today than I anticipated. I was trying to make it short, and here I am, preaching long again. But I hope you hear my heart. Some of you are here for the very first time, and uh, I want you to know we love you, and we're thankful that you're here. And I want you all to know that we love you. And as much as we love you, I want, to, I want to assure you God loves you more. His love for you is infinite. God doesn't just talk about love. He shows it. He demonstrates it. God shows his love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, while, while we were still in our rebellion, while we were still misbehaving, while we were still running away from him and rejecting his truth, while we were still doing things we knew were going to harm us and harm others, he died for us. Jesus died for us on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. But that's, accepting that, receiving that forgiveness and receiving this new life in Christ, that's a wonderful first step. 
turning our back on the old way of life and turning in faith toward Christ who makes us brand new, who gives us a new birth, makes us a new creation, gives us a new purpose, wipes our slate clean. That's a wonderful gift, but that's only a first step. Now he intends to grow us up. And like any good father, he will use every tool in his tool belt to help us grow. He will use his word. He will use his spirit that he's placed inside our hearts. He will use fellowship with other believers who love Christ as you do. He will use adversity, hardships. He will use difficult people. He will use whatever he needs to to grow us up, to make us like him, to give us strong faith and a love for others, a deeper understanding and knowledge of Christ, discernment in confusing times. He will do whatever it takes to grow his kids up, to maximize their potential. And I know in some of you, he's working right now. He's always working. He never gives up. And what I want to do today is just turn your thoughts toward him. He's a good, good father. Can we sing that song? That song's on my heart. Can we do good, good father? That's who he is to us. That's who he is to us. I don't care what you're going through today. If you can just hang on to these simple truths about God, he's good, and he loves you, and you can trust him. He's going to get you through what you're facing. As we sing this song today, Good, Good Father, I really feel compelled to do this. And you're struggling today with a circumstance in your life or a person in your life. And you're at your wit's end. You've just about come to the end of your rope. You feel as if you can't take another step. You feel as if you're tank is on empty. I want you to respond right now as God moves in your heart. As we sing this little chorus that reminds us of the goodness of our Father, would you just right now as an act of faith on your part step up out of your chair and come up here to this altar and sing a song that will lift your face toward heaven. That will build your faith in God. That will Restore the hope that he's given you in Christ. As we sing this song, just respond to him today. He is a good, good father.